Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh yeah, baby. We're back. We're back by Liberty Lights. Mm, Liberty Light. It drinks like a regular beer, but it's got a little less calories. Uh, welcome, guys. This is Lions of Liberty's Electric Liberty Land, episode number 22, which means that you can find that at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL22. So that'll have all the show notes for the show today, including some videos from my guest, who I'll bring in in just a little bit, named Thomas K. Now, Thomas, you might know him from his videos. In fact, it's probably what you do know him from under Bitbutter is his uh, YouTube name, but He's got videos including George Ought to Help, which is what he is most known for, and uh, some other ones, too, which I'll, I'll link to in the show notes, uh, talking about the medical institutions and what's going on with the healthcare uh, insurance crisis, etc. And I'm telling you, they're fantastic. He's taken upon himself to create these videos that pass along libertarian concepts in a way that is actually coherent to the everyday viewer. So that's something to hang your hat on. I could say that much. But before I bring in Mr. Thomas, I do want to talk about a couple of quick things here at the top of the show, including prefacing a story that I will talk about with Thomas. And it's a story about uh, German kindergartens and a requirement by the state uh, or the government in which they have to basically rat out any parents that don't get advice on vaccinations. And uh, (laughs) so... Just a little exercise of confirmation bias. When you do hear that story at the end of the show, I will have a complete wrong understanding of the story because this is why I want to make this a teaching moment for everybody. Because <laughs> why? You know, I could rec- I could have recorded my side of the conversation, but that's shady. Number one, and number two, I think it's kind of funny. So what had happened is I'm reading this story. Every time I read it initially, I read kindergartens as kindergartners, and once my brain had accepted. That was the word. I put it in throughout the article. So I have a very nefarious take on this piece. Now, granted, it is nefarious, underhanded, state-controlled garbage to begin with. But it becomes even worse when you think it's the children that are being asked to uh, to rat out their parents. Anyway, uh, there you go. That's a reason to listen all the way to the end of the show so you can hear me. uh, Me and my goofy misunderstandings of certain things and the confirmation bias of my brain wherein I made my myself believe and did not uh, correct my own reading when I was going through this article. And I must have read it three times. <laughs> Never corrected it. Anyway, if you can't tell, I am feeling a little bit better uh, this episode. Thanks to all zero of you that, that gave me well wishes or sent me uh, drugs or alcohol to help me through my, my week-long illness, which was uh, a big pain in my ass. But I am back, and I want to talk about, so at the top of the show here, one thing I do want to talk about, uh, one of three things. And the first thing is I want to talk about this insane story that comes out, The Guardian's got it covered, and they're talking about a drug enforcement, basically the DEA, operating outside of our country. And they should not be doing this, and not supposed to be doing this. But they were basically saying, well, we're going to be in Honduras, we're going to help, help, quote-unquote, the native forces there in their drug enforcement policies and fighting against the drug war and trying to stop cocaine shipments and everything else. The truth of the matter was that the U.S. was actually leading all of this. And the people, when they actually went in and did interviews later on with the the native Honduran uh, law enforcement officials, it became very clear that they were the followers. They had no idea. They were just following along with whatever the U.S. said. The U.S. was leading all these operations. They had people there. They had air transport there. And what happened in this situation is that the DEA lied about a massacre. This is what uh, it's been termed, even though it was only four people, but I guess you can still massacre four people. I mean, you can massacre one person. Uh, anywho, they killed four people, and the DEA's official story on what happened was as such. There was a boat that had been come disabled. I guess the engine gave out. Uh, maybe they ran out of fuel, and it had a bunch of cocaine on it and a bunch of agents. So both U.S. and Honduran agents were on this boat. I don't know why, but another boat carrying passengers somehow hit them, ran into their disabled boat. I don't know how you could avoid or how you can still hit a a boat that's sitting there, but they must have. Maybe the current was strong. I don't know. Upon hitting this boat, the DEA's story was that people on this passenger transport had opened fire on them. They returned fire. 
killing four and really badly injuring a bunch more, including people that have, uh, you know, back pain forever, that a woman had her legs shot up and still is swollen and disfigured. A boy had his wrist, like a, you know, 12 year old boy had his wrist shattered by the bullet and was only able to keep his keep his hand and mobility in his arm because he had emergency surgery, which was donated because a lot of people in Honduras, of course, they don't have the access to the kind of care we have here. So that's the DEA's story. Turns out, and the U.S. has now admitted this, which is shocking in itself, but I guess when there is so much evidence to finally provide evidence, something you don't see in any of the Russia allegations against Trump, but that's neither here nor there. But the U.S. admitted now that the actual occurrence, what happened here was that this boat hit the U.S. or the hunter and ship with the U.S. agents on it. The U.S. agents opened fire first. Once they shot the boat, they shot the boat full of innocent people, shot a bunch of them dead. And then they were assisted by a helicopter that had come in to take these agents and take the drugs away. Right. So there's also a gunship, a little gunship with a machine gun on the door which they then opened fire and they were shooting not only people on the boat, but people that were fleeing the boat. Innocent people that are desperately trying to swim away from this hail of bullets, which they have no goddamn clue what's happening. They then opened fire on them. I mean, it is a story of horror. And not only does it illustrate everything that's wrong with the war on drugs, people getting wrapped into this, into this violence, and, and for over what? Over what? People want to snort some 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 substance up their nose. They want to smoke something. So these innocent people are murdered or disfigured. And you look, you take a step farther now. We're so concerned with terrorism. You know, I talked about it last show. I'm talking about it again in this show. We so we, we go out of our heads about terrorism, and and we forget that it's incidents like this that can cause terrorists to be made as well. We're worried about our actions overseas, which you know, of course, we should be with all the the broader military operations going on. But you look at incidents like this and you think these people, if your father had been murdered by U.S. drug enforcement agents when he was just trying to get home from work or your son had been killed, maybe you go and, and Google some, uh, some ISIS. Or maybe you go and, and you try to form your own little, little splinter cell of terrorism to fight back against any agents we have going on in that country. I mean, it just, it's not out of the realm of possibility in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, it makes a lot of sense, especially for people that have no other recourse. How would these people strike back against the U.S. government that has murdered their family members for no reason whatsoever? Other than at this point, they're going to look for the existing uh, organizations. I'm obviously not advocating for that, FBI, <laughs> who I'm sure is listening. But I'm just saying that is a viable option for these people after this kind of thing happens. So again, ongoing tragedy, lives destroyed, and infinite amount of blowback being provided. And this is just one incident of, I'm sure, hundreds that go on every year. Not necessarily where people are getting murdered in this fashion, but this is the one we heard about. And I guarantee for every one we hear about, there's 15 to 20 that we don't hear about that are as bad or worse. So that's a somber start to the show. <laughs> oh, God. Here's one that'll give you a laugh. Uh, in a somber way, though, because we all heard now about the stabbings in a Portland uh, rail car, which are horrible. There was a, a white supremacist who was violent, uh, screaming at a, a woman of color and basically saying that she was a Muslim and she doesn't pay taxes and get out of her country. And when two gentlemen tried to intervene, which I think we would all hope that we had the balls to do in that situation, if we're being honest, and tried to get him to calm down. The man pulled out a knife and killed two of them. Uh, I think there was another woman who was injured. But these men were trying to step in and, and basically do the right thing. And now, because of this happening, Portland's mayor has said that he wants to basically put a referendum in place uh, to stop any new protests uh, or, or rallies that are in support of free speech. Anything that's that could be questionable or considered uh, not on the, the the very progressive side of Portland, because this happened in Portland, which is one of the worst aggressors for idiotic <laughs> social justice. Uh, and if you remember the burrito story and shutting down the burrito stand by the uh, the two women, same place. So anyway, but he's trying to put a moratorium on free speech, basically. 
because he said because of these attacks, he wants to to cancel. He wants the federal government to come in and say that these these rallies can't go on. They don't have a right to go on because, you know, that's that's what we we need. We need to quash free speech in order to attack hate speech, I guess. I I mean, we can't. Can't we just take a step back, by the way, and view this as what it is, is an incredibly unstable individual who went nuts on a train. That's what happened. Uh, you could paint it in every, any way, shape, or form you like. And people, of course, have already taken the step of saying, well, Trump's got to denounce Muslim violence. And I will say, Muslim violence has gone up since the Manchester attacks. I don't know if this distinctly had something to do with that. I know in the UK it has, um, as people lash out at Muslims, which is not right. It's not forgivable. Um, I can understand it for the stupider part of humanity. Again, people that are looking, at, just like I said with this this Honduras situation. When people are hurt, when loved ones are hurt and people get angry about it, they try to find some way to lash out, whether that's right or wrong. And that's essentially what's happened. Um, so anyway, the Portland's mayor could not have a greater misunderstanding of what should or should not be done here. It's a completely idiotic point of view. Uh, another idiotic point of view, the little girl that was standing up to the bull in, in uh, Wall Street. So, you know, there's the classic bull statue and people put this this girl, this... Uh, this little freedom girl. So she's standing there now. You know, the fearless girl, I think her name is officially. And she's standing there. And the original creator of the bull is pretty pissed off because he thinks it is uh, is insulting to his original piece, which I agree with, actually. I think it is. Um, at the same time, hey, you know, it's, it's a public space and that's uh, free expression. And, and that's the purview of the of the people that own it. But fine, you can have your other your other thing there as well. And then there was a third little installment that was put there today by another artist who was upset about the the uh, infringement upon the original artist piece of this fearless girl, which is basically it was put there. It is essentially just a marketing uh, <laughs> marketing ruse. It's, it's it's like it's a joke. This whole thing's a joke. But of course, the feminists are rallied around it, saying that women have should have more emphasis on Wall Street and all this. And so a guy created a little pug. He calls it the pissing pug. And the pissing pug was taking a pee on, on Fearless Girl's leg, which is funny. And the pug itself was not fantastic. He said intentionally, he goes, ah, I, don't, I didn't want to make it too nice. You know, I just wanted to make a statement that, you know, this is art. And if you're going to have this and I can have this, this other uh, statement about my pug pissing on what I consider to be you pissing on someone else's artistic statement. Naturally. The reaction was immediate. All the feminists got up in arms. All the people that are trying to have sex with the feminists got up in arms saying that this is an outrage, which, of course, is the greatest irony that these assholes who had stepped up and said, well, no, you've got artistic statements and political freedom and and your right to free speech. And this is a, a free speech statement and a powerful statement and has a right to be there. Now, of course, say that the pissing pug has no right to be there and has been removed. And I guarantee you it will not go back there unless this guy creates another little peeing dog or uh, or a cat with a with a yeast infection to shove out there. So, again, just the the ideology of the left, it just drives me insane because they so constantly are confusing their own points of view with what's right or wrong and placing, you know, these value judgments on what should be either it, it is OK or it's not OK. You can't have it be only OK when you agree with it. Okay, last thing to hit really quick. Roger Moore died, guys. I know. It's sad. I would venture that he was the worst James Bond. <laughs> I know. I might get a lot of hate mail. Come at me. Come tweet at me. I'll, I'll tweet stomp you all day long. But I would say, even though he made many movies, some of which were okay, uh, some of which were really bad. My God, if you saw Moonraker, that movie is one of the biggest pieces of trash and really signified the start of the downturn of the Bond era at Roger Moore movies because they became all about goofy gadgets, stupid jokes. And it was just like the James Bond movies that are Sean Connery. They were they were they had the gadgets, but they were pretty much straightforward spy stories. But with a charming individual who made a joke here and there. The Roger Moore movies basically became the three stooges have guns and they're all James Bond. Like, that's what it was. It was a joke. I'm not saying that I'm glad he's dead, by the way. I'm still sad he's dead. But who would have thought that Sean Connery, of all people, would outlive Roger Moore? Sean Connery's got to be like 98 years old. Yet, still living on. And I don't know about you, but I think Sean Connery should finish the deal. 
I think now that Roger Moore is dead, he should go around Highlander style, killing all the other Bonds off. And for every one, he says, Because there can be only one James Bond. Before he murders every one of them. I know, I know, it's not right, I know, it's it's against the non-aggression principle. But I still think it would be fantastic. <laughs> there could be only one Sean! Anywho, guys, all right, let's get into the show proper. But before we do, I do want to take a minute just to tell you guys that I do hope you can uh, can join our podcast as as a supporting member. I want to throw that out there because we're putting out some really fantastic content. And for just five bucks a month, you can join on lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Get access to content early. Get access to a special a special forum we've got for, uh, for just those, the supporters of the podcast. And also, you can do, I mean, if you're on there for a certain amount of money, we do our special monthly calls. You can ask me what you want to ask me uh, direct to my stupid face. And what is better than that? Nothing in the world. That's what I'd say. Nothing in this world. At least that's what my wife says. All right, guys, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors, and then we will be right back with Thomas K. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. Okay, so as promised, we are here with Thomas K. He is uh, very well known within the libertarian community for some of these really great animated uh, videos he's put up on YouTube, um, such as How Government Solved the Healthcare Crisis, which is the most recent one I watched. The one he's most famous for is George Ought to Help. And uh, you can always leave us another one uh, known as Bitbutter on YouTube. So you can find him there. And you can also help by uh, by supporting what he's doing. And I'll link to this in the show notes, guys, which, again, you can find at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL22. And uh, but you can li- you know, link there. You can donate to him on uh, on his uh, Patreon type of program and uh, and donate to what he's doing. So I want to bring him in. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on Electric Liberty Land today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, I, I wanted to get in a little bit and talk to you about, um, obviously, the videos and the work you're doing there, but but a, just to kind of get a genesis of where you're, you know, where you're coming from. I know you said you're living in the Netherlands now, you're from England originally. So what, what, uh, you know, what has your life path been in a nutshell? And how did you come to be a, a fan of liberty and, and become a voice for libertarian thought? Okay, so uh, I'll those 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 different parts don't tie into each other very well but i'll <laughs> i'll do my best so uh my my background i i studied um painting fine art painting uh in newcastle uh after i graduated i taught myself web development uh moved to london um between those times i met my then girlfriend on a study exchange to the netherlands and so we lived together for a while in london tried that for a while i didn't work out it's too smelly and dirty and violent <laughs> and uh, uh and so then you know we, we we thought okay we've tried england the the fair thing to do next is to see how it is in the netherlands uh and so we moved over there and or over here rather and uh i've been here ever since it's how long ago was that so how many years have you been in the netherlands now uh 13 14 years wow, like so that. a while yeah yeah i like it here it's nice it seems the like bike. a lovely place. I will say the that. Bike, <laughs> the biking. Uh, the biking is the big thing for me. I really like that, that, that you can get anywhere you need to go on a bike. 
without danger of being run over or anything like that. That's, that's really nice. Yeah, I'd say, you know, I went to China and uh, it's the opposite there. You can bike everywhere, but you're pretty much <laughs> always in danger of being run over. Like, it was uncanny. You'd walk along. I mean, I swear, I, I was in Shanghai, Beijing, and Xi'an, and everywhere you know, there's hundreds of bicyclists and the cars just don't care. They just turn where they're going to turn. And it's just like, I can't believe every day that people aren't just mauled horribly. And uh, maybe yeah, they not, are. Sure I don't know. They are. Sure, they are. <laughs> right. The, the, like the first week my girlfriend arrived in London when we went to move there, uh, she, she's, she's grown up in the Netherlands and she's used to biking here and so the first thing she did there was got a cheap second-hand bike and she'd got a job uh, and she decided okay I'm just gonna bike to work and I was like no 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 don't do it don't do it uh, no I'll be fine I don't need a helmet or anything and then kind of two minutes out of the door she was rear-ended by a car and she, was, she was fine but uh it shook up yeah it's, it's just dangerous yeah that's you know it's like one of those things you're like oh are you okay but also you do get a deep sense of uh, of I told you so satisfaction in those moments yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> I'm glad she was okay. Well, of course, of course. Yeah. So, okay. So then how, now you're, you know, uh, in England, I don't know. So when did your, when did your love affair, I guess, with, uh, with libertarian thought, um, start to play a part in your life? Was this when you were in England or was this, did this kind of, kind of, uh, start cropping up in the Netherlands more? It was later on. I'd already moved. Um, but me being in the Netherlands perhaps didn't, uh, play into that in a very obvious way, uh, except for maybe, it's it's cheaper to live here, or it is for me. Uh, so that meant I had more kind of discretionary time. I was freelancing at the time. Uh, so with that time, one of the things I did, did was uh, make YouTube videos and you know reply to other people making YouTube videos. And back then, my big interest was uh, atheology or atheism, uh, especially atheism and Christianity. You know the the discussion surrounding those topics mm -hmm. so i made a whole bunch of videos and you know on my bitbutter channel you, you can see those they're the, like the very first ones from ages ago mm -hmm. um and that was that was really nice i was really uh i felt like i was learning a lot and it was uh, a really stimulating kind of uh, community to be part of and then one so I, you know my subscriber base was growing and then uh one guy asked me what i thought about this one particular video that he'd seen uh and that video was called something like uh the state is a death threat mm. you know completely provocative title uh and so i watched that and it made the case that um every law that exists is uh ultimately uh a threat of violence that's maintained against uh mm -hmm. you know any, anyone in the territory um and it's not you know not only a threat of violence but a threat of violence which will you know if in in the case of non-compliance it will be escalated until the, the you know the the agents of the state will sooner see you dead than let you escape you know the consequences of your non-compliance mm -hmm. and that was a way that i hadn't uh, considered things before and it was for me it made it very urgent for me to uh to look into this more closely because this is kind of an alarming an alarming thought if you haven't uh, seen it yeah, presented that way. Yeah. You were quote so, unquote, I hate to use this phrase, you're quote unquote woke, as people like to say, <laughs> and we all like to look down on that phrase. But it's, but it's an apt way of putting it. I no, 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 I was, I was red pilled. That <laughs> <laughs> <I> also worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one or the other. Uh, and so then, um, then I, that began my kind of, uh, kind of quest to figure out as much as I could about, about this topic. And in, initially it was, uh, so that was a really interesting time for me. I, I, I benefited an awful lot from the from the Mises.org website and all the materials they have available there. Mm -hmm. And and it was at the same time it's kind of kind of disappointing because the um, the people who I'd kind of come to know come to know through uh, like the atheism community and who in my mind were at least uh, more able than most to to do the whole critical thinking thing. Right. Uh, they were kind of flatly dismissive of the whole idea. I had a video called uh, "Let's Talk About the State" when I was first getting into this kind of thing, and uh, and the kind of the response was like, "No, this is nonsense," you know, <laughs> <laughs> libertarian nonsense. Um, well, I think which, you're, I mean, you you hit on a, a key there. It's, it is interesting when you bring the concept to so many people who are just used to it. I mean, and it is a very apt um, way to compare it to people that are brought up 
with a certain uh, religion. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you're raised with that religion, you're raised with this, this concept of, okay, God is, God is there, God exists, this is the reason that these things are the way they are, and he designed it this way, and it all makes sense. And then you look at the way people are raised with this, I mean, essentially, it, it is a religion, uh, in many ways, uh, the, the worship of government, especially on the left, you don't know any other way to think about the world. And when you're presented with that other option, it is something where, you know, some people are going to flat out reject it just because it is questioning the very, I guess, their identity and the way in which they understand the world in which they live. Right. I think it's a, it's a really, it can be a really uncomfortable thing. Um, and I, like back then, I would probably be quite comfortable with kind of, you know, drawing a very clear comparison with religion. Uh, now, I'd, I think I'd prefer to say that uh, a lot of religious people kind of, have have that kind of mode of basically default uh, assumptions about the the world. Other other religious people come to it, I'm sure, through careful thought, and they've they've kind of I I think they've made a mistake, <laughs> but in in yeah in the in the in the vast majority of cases with statism and with religion, uh, it's it's a kind of default belief that's not carefully examined. I believe, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I I agree completely, and it's something where. I mean, people understand, I think, well, I think a lot of people, if they actually look at the history of religions and the way these things have rolled out, that religions were essentially, and I'm sorry to all the religious people, because, you know, it's funny, a lot of libertarians are, in fact, religious, um, which yeah, is, yeah. is is interesting. But, uh, you know, there's all, it's, it, when you really look at it, it's all a method of control, uh, in my personal opinion. And, you know, you can argue that maybe on some level, uh, society needed certain laws. I personally believe that the natural order works itself out, wherein most of the, the tenets that are pushed forward by Catholicism or Judaism or any of these other religions that essentially order what you should and should not do were things mm-hmm. that did not need to necessarily be laid out anyway, because a society needs them to function. So de facto, they are going to occur. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still, it's a method of control and the, you know, the state's method of control and the religious method of control are, are overlapping in so many different ways. Um, you mm-hmm. know, to, to find salvation, you have to do this, 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 and this, or to maintain your role in society and not be thrown in a prison, as you'd reference Sawyer, by not complying to the laws or complying to the taxation. Um, you know, this course of government threat of, of we will take away your freedom should you not follow these laws. So it's all the same basic structure. And I, and I think the more you look into it, the more you, you come to understand that. Yeah. So the, like the longer I've, I've been in the liberty community uh, and the more often I've come across people who are uh, usually Roman Catholics and libertarians or anarcho-capitalists, um, the, the more I feel my attitude towards religion has softened, like the, my animosity to religion has softened because of, because of those people who, you know, they've, I learn a lot from these people. They're very smart. Uh, one in particular I'm thinking of is Clark Hat on Twitter. I don't know if you know him. Hmm. No, I don't uh, have to look him up. I'm not familiar. Yeah, look him up. He's interesting. Um, and so, yeah, the, I think they're making a mistake. I think that like their their beliefs about you know the creator of the universe or the existence of a creator of the universe are, are mistaken. Um, but I can very well believe that there might be advantages to having. Uh, for for a community to have this very strongly held shared belief that it might uh, um, ease cooperation, uh, might ease coordination on these kind of edge cases, which, which otherwise might have resulted in conflict, and that you can have a kind of cohesion that otherwise wouldn't be there, which perhaps enables that society to accomplish other things. And this, I suppose this starts to get into the, the NRX style of thinking or the or the outright stuff even. Mm. Uh, I think it's not completely nonsense. I think there there are some interesting ideas in there. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I, I can see where you're links to that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I agree with some of the things that are that are said, you know, like the Richard Spencers of the world and that kind of thing with, you know, you do have an identifier in your community and you you like mindedness and certain things in that regard. But at the same time, it's interesting when you were just talking about this and, and there was a recent story that I had posted in our uh, our forum group which uh, for our listeners, you can find on Facebook, just type in Lions of Liberty Forum, and we'll, uh, we'll add you in there if you don't look too crazy. But I post this story about Portland and, uh, and you know, Portland, I don't know how much news you get about Portland uh, in the Netherlands, but it's just a, a den of social justice warriors, essentially. And the most recent triumph for them was that they shut down these two white women had a burrito shop 
which looked like a great burrito shop, but they shut them down because these women said, oh, we were in Mexico and we saw this great burrito uh, or this uh, tortilla recipe and we we brought it back here. And they were like, ah, cultural appropriation. And they shut them down. So, but the thing for me is kind of like you're saying is you need these these common identifiers or these common uh, beliefs in which to to foster a better society, get cooperation. And that's where just going off on a tangent here, this whole you know, crying cultural appropriation drives me absolutely insane because you look at cultural appropriation, essentially what it is, is just taking something that's an attractive feature of another society and adopting it within your own. And this is, isn't this basically what society has been built on throughout the ages and trade has been tourism and advancements in society. Like they're based on these things. If we didn't culturally appropriate, we would all be stagnant. And also we would be in a, even more of a constant state of war than we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other the other uh, thing that you can't help but notice, I think, is that the same people who are so critical of of what they perceive as white culture mm-hmm. are, uh, are are so hostile to the idea of whites appropriating elements from other cultures. You know yeah. what's what, what's that about? Right. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know you know this meme with the guy with the two red buttons and he's sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I love that meme. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, but no, exactly. It's like, yeah, you can't you can't say white culture is the worst and then put it in a box and then say now you you're not allowed to change. Yeah, <laughs> you're the worst, kind of, but God forbid you evolve in any way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the logic is not quite there in so many of these these progressive uh, ideologies that are adopted and that they're, they're pushing out there constantly via every possible medium. And that's why let's get to so let's get to the uh, you're, you're more into your videos and this is a perfect segue um, because. You know, social media has become such a powerful tool. Uh, I, I mean, look, the, the conservative movement's got theirs, libertarians, we're, you know, we're putting our memes out there too. But I think we, one of the biggest challenges that libertarianism faces, and whether you're an ANCAP or a MINCAP or a minarchist, whatever it is, you know, you're, whatever it is, it's still a very huge hurdle, I find, for most people to get into it. Like you have to really put the effort into understand economics on some level uh you have to understand a lot of the different uh the aspects of government control and people are too lazy to do that and that's where i feel like in today's world where the easiest thing to do is just say hey uh just watch this video it's a minute long i'll put it on your facebook page you know it's Mm -hmm. it's videos like the ones that you're doing that are so helpful and Mm -hmm. i'm curious to see like what you know the reaction you've gotten obviously it's been very popular but it was that part of the impetus in in creating to say i need something to communicate and make this simpler for people to understand because you do a great job of it in the videos thanks um kind of so the 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 video i watched that initially got me interested in this stuff is no longer online um and i noticed it had like it had a really big effect on me Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I realized that the the way it was presented, it was very uncompromising, uh, made no concessions to, you know, making the viewer feel even at all comfortable. Yeah. It was not, it was not seductive at all. Uh, that, that works fine for me. Uh, I, I had the idea that it might not work fine for others. Um, and I, I knew that I had some skills in, in putting together graphics and so on. Uh, and I thought I could do kind of an iteration on this idea like i could package a very similar message in a way that would probably reach more people that was that was my you know that's, that's why i started it mm-hmm. um without an expectation of really how many it would reach uh, o- only that it would be good if it reached more than this one video that i'd seen <laughs> uh, because i wanted more people to see it i was you know I, i'm really i'm really interested in um yeah what i take to be the truth and i i kind of project that interest on other people too i I assume people are interested in finding out what's true um and that's a big motivator for me to try and to to produce these things to to help people in that project yeah now when you created it what was your target audience just anywhere all over the world were you thinking specifically i want to create these to reach people in the region you're in now or you're just saying yes you know as the internet obviously there's no boundaries so just throwing it out there and hoping it's just hoping it goes viral uh yeah pretty much so by default the like the like the the first audience is the anglosphere online yeah um and i i made no attempt to um to 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 make it culturally neutral beyond that scope so i could have done you know i could have looked mm-hmm. at how you know how, how best to 
present these ideas to a Chinese audience, let's say. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I kind of, I, I just kind of went for the lowest hanging fruit on the tree and, you know, the, trying to communicate to the kind of audience that I was already speaking to online, mm-hmm. which predominantly are people from the US, as it happens. Um, but in in the English speaking world in general, yeah. Well, I, the one I'd said uh, it, the reason I reached out to you initially because it was, it was and it's shame on me. It was the first video I'd seen that you did was the the healthcare video. But oh. I just um, you know it it just was so succinctly put, and again, it touched on so many of these things that people don't get into when you get into arguments about healthcare because obviously that was a big topic. Uh, it's an ongoing topic in the United States right now. Uh, obviously, the Netherlands, uh, you know, I believe you guys have the socialist, socialized healthcare, as does England. And you look at all the arguments for and against, but people forget the the genesis of how did we get to this point? And you did a great job in that video specifically of calling out how there were these, you know, insurance had existed in a, very capably through fraternal organizations and through other groups that you could join before the government got involved and essentially created the crisis and, and created these skyrocketing prices and the AMA got involved and became this, uh, having a monopoly on the licensing, which pushed people out and which is something that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Well, you probably know of Rand Paul, um, sure. but he also talks about that quite a bit. And mm-hmm. it's interesting just to see that, that laid out because people just, they don't know. And it's, it harkens to what we spoke to earlier. They've been taught that insurance exists, you know, especially the new generation insurance exists and healthcare is incredibly expensive and there's nothing we can do about it. So government has to take over. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a bunch of like connected beliefs that I come across quite often there that, that, that there's just something, uh, there's something unique about, <laughs> there's something unique about all of the industries that the state happens to either monopolize or heavily license that makes them somehow, you know, in, in contradiction to all the other industries, they just get more expensive. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter um, what advances we have, what technological advances come right. about that might make things faster. No, exactly right. Yeah. And there's all kinds of ad hoc stories about why that might be the case for medicine. You know, the technology is so much better now, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I was I was really happy to come across this uh, this essay by Roderick Long that the, that the video is based on. Um, the script is almost... Uh, verbatim uh, kind of translation of that essay. So Robert, if you're uh, listening to this, sue his balls off. <laughs> I, got, I, I asked him, he said he was okay. <laughs> but then he couldn't really say anything else given his position on copyright, so that's okay. Ah, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really happy to come across that essay because it's also a history that I wasn't aware of um, and also wasn't aware of the the, the kind of the, the developments that happened in, in Britain uh, during that time either, where, you know, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that, that's been very interesting. Like it's, it's very different kind of video to George Otter help. George Otter help is kind of, it's, uh, it's pretty much a bludgeon, you know, you, you, you can't, um, it's, it's a kind of, um, cognitive dissonance engine yeah. in, in, in my view. Uh, the, the healthcare one is a little bit different. It's, it tells a story like it's, uh, it's a historical story. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways of interpreting it. But uh, I've been very happy with the response to that one, too. I think a very different type of person is uh, – different types of people have expressed uh, gratefulness for, for being shown this story. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, it's not a drop-down, drop-dead, watertight argument for libertarianism or deregulation of the medical industry. But it, I think reasonable people – it resonates with them. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is that the intro. It, it's the great thing about these videos. Again, is the it, it provides an in in a lot of ways. And people, I mean, in talking to so many people about libertarianism, you can't just dive in and lay out and be like everything needs to be deregulated. The government, you know, we don't need the government. It, it can all be done because they can't grasp it. They're just immediately going to dismiss you as saying, ah, this is crazy. You're, uh, you know, you're a fool. You want to, you just want complete anarchy and it'll never work. Society will crumble. But if you get people to open up to one point, then it is a very slippery slope in a good way. Then, you know, at least from what I find in talking to people is once you can get them to acknowledge one point and you say, okay, now, now extrapolate from there. If you acknowledge this one point, you can see how these other things would work and you can see how government has not made things better, but in fact has made things worse. So they're just, it's a great way to get a foot in the door for libertarianism. And, and again, by not putting too much in there, by not uh, making it, so complex and diving into all sorts of theory on which people are just going to tune it out you you accomplish far more even you, know, yeah. you accomplish more by doing less essentially 
Yeah, I think so too. And and I'm really I'm really interested on in in kind of investigating that space uh like and kind of refining that approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the latest thing I did was a, a website called exploreistaxationtheft.com. Huh, okay, uh, which I will it, link to in the show notes. Oh great. So it's a it's a kind of interactive conversation. You know, you know these kind of old choose your own adventure books? Oh, I love them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those those things. So it's it's kind of that. It takes its cue from that for the format of the thing. So it presents you with a a little bit of text and it asks you a question and you have a multiple choice uh, response uh, available to you. Uh, and then it goes on and and so it's it's very tightly focused on the question of whether taxation is theft, whether it's uh, whether it's reasonable or defensible to describe it that way. Uh, and so what I've done is I've tried to represent all the main all the biggest statist objections to the idea um, and the, the libertarian uh, answers to those. Uh, and that's that's been really interesting to, to make. Also for me, I think I feel as though my, uh, my views on the whole subject have, have become a bit more nuanced and uh, yeah. a bit more robust as well. That is, I mean, I'd love to do a little bit more uh, if I had gotten more time. And, and I think, as you had cited earlier, the reason you started making these videos, you had a little bit more more money and more time to do it. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to get both of those things. Um, <laughs> but it, it is true. You do, you do learn a lot more when you when you're, have the onus of creating something on top of you. Then you do look a lot more into, into specific topics and ways of thinking about it. And, you know, I myself, I'm banding about this idea of creating like a comedy um mm-hmm about social justice warriors that would be a skit, you know, just run on this show or, or interstitially until I could actually film it. But um, it makes you think about ways you say, okay, how am I going to reach people? Cause I don't want to make this just for a libertarian audience. I want to make this something that would be attractive to other people. So it can't be too uh, dismissive or snide. It can't be too inside ball. And so you have, yeah, you really have to do a lot of research and find ways in which to connect with people on a level you might not have, have initially thought about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminds me about a bit about that um, that idea from uh, uh, Taleb, uh, Nassim Taleb, I believe. Uh, the idea of having skin in the game. Right. That, uh, that this is this is a super important thing to have uh, to to produce anything of value. That uh, without that, without being personally invested in it somehow, you're gonna you're not motivated enough to to, right, to yeah, look into you just it, it. <laughs> yeah exactly to not you don't do your due diligence you don't research it properly yeah right exactly there's a lot to say for that and i had by the way gone out of my way to properly research all about uh the libertarian alliance in denmark because i for some reason <laughs> thought you were in copenhagen <laughs> So I spent about half an hour redoing all this deep research into the wrong country. <laughs> but let's let you know. So, you know, skin in the game. I did my I did my duty. Skin in but, the wrong game. Yeah, exactly. That's like the title of my biography and also how I got STDs. Skin in the wrong game. Um, by the way, so tell me real quick, because I want to get into uh, a little bit of, of discussion into uh, Trump's you know, comments about NATO or or non comments about NATO, I guess, uh, and and demanding people pay their fair share in NATO, and also this German kindergartner's story. Uh, before we finish up, but but I do want to hear a little bit about you know, is there is there any libertarian community in the Netherlands that you're a part of? Is it is it tiny? Is it growing? Is it you know what, what's the status of libertarianism over there? Uh, it exists and it's small, and I hope it's growing. Um, so recently, I in the last couple of weeks, in fact, I met up with the uh, with the guys from the Libertarian Party over here. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, what, is and, there, are they just called the Libertarian Party there, or is it a specific name? Uh, it's it's like the Dutch translation of that, so it's uh, Libertarian okay. Party LP. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an abbreviation, um, and yeah, there's a bunch of good guys uh, working on that. Um, and I've, I'm, I'm hoping that we can work together somehow. Uh, so my, my interest isn't really on in, in kind of traditional political victories, but I think a party can be a, a very useful platform for consciousness raising. So that's that's kind of my angle mm. uh, to see if what to, to see whether that's kind of we can help each other that way. Yeah, I mean, here in the U.S., the the Libertarian Party obviously this year had their best chance in ages to actually make a mark, and they failed miserably by putting out a, a truly terrible candidate. I'm not sure how much you were paying attention to it, but <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I saw oh, the memes. Oh, he is. Oh my God, man, he was terrible. But they also, I just realized uh, a a member of our forum had sent me a. a Facebook message because I do public relations as my main career. And mm. for a while, I was looking at the Libertarian Party and all of this just 
dumb crap they would be doing, you know, just misstep after misstep and they're, and missing opportunities to get out there and comment during news cycles. You know, it's like you've got three parties running and, and there's almost no comment from the Libertarian Party. So I was thinking, oh, God, they really should have somebody in the PR side. And I was just told that they finally are looking to actually hire a public relations liaison or a press agent. And it was just shocking to me that oh. all this time they haven't had one. You know, yeah. and, and and like I said, the the libertarian platform. Like I am not an, even an official member of the party, um, nor would I probably elect to be in most circumstances. But it is useful, and you do have, especially when it comes to national media, you do have a better chance of garnering national media and getting those interviews if you do have an official uh, party designation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the same thing here. I'm also not a member of the the LP in the Netherlands. Yeah. And so, that right, right now they're they're so small. I believe that this is like you know the dedicated uh, PR person is. I'm I'm guessing they don't have that. Yeah, probably. Uh, they'll not. they'll cor- correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, <laughs> send you an angry email. All right. So I do want to get into this uh, a little bit before we move on to anything else. Let's talk about Trump and his statements upon NATO. And uh, essentially what happened was Trump was in the Middle East and he uh, he had made some statements, met with Saudi Arabia, got a, a nice medal and touched a glowing orb. And he refused to say that uh, that he was going to come down hard on any human rights violations, which is hilarious, of course, because uh, the man goes out of his way to to launch uh, missiles against uh, Syria and Assad when he allegedly gassed his own people. And yet we're giving one hundred and ten billion dollars in weapons to Saudi Arabia, which also continues to hang people and stone women to death and all sorts of horrible things. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, on NATO, he uh, he had you know, he made some statements and basically during this speech had called out the NATO members and said, you need to pay your fair share, which I believe is 2% of uh, a gross domestic product. And also said, or he didn't say that he had supported this uh, U.S. Article 5 commitment to NATO, which essentially means when one nation is attacked, all nations have to respond equally to that attack. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, on Trump's NATO stance and, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> Are people over there, do, do, do people in Europe really uh, give a crap or is it just all political gamesmanship right now? Uh, they, they do. I like that. I mean, among, among the people, among my friends on Facebook, like the, the general, I mean, among the people I've met face to face, I have a lot of libertarian friends too, who I yeah. haven't, uh, <laughs> among my actual real life friends, uh, I think like the general attitude is Obama was great. Trump is the devil. <laughs> um, it just, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it doesn't doesn't sit very well with me. They both, you know, in my view, they're both pretty awful. Yep, yeah, I'm um, with you there. Um, yeah, so it's like that. But I, I, I don't get the idea that people here are really closely following uh, much of what Trump is doing right now. Hmm. So it's not, even, be, not be, even just as a uh, as a social game, because here it's almost always anything that goes on. It's like people rush to Facebook immediately to, you know, it's virtual signaling in a lot of ways, just to make sure they get yeah. likes for bashing Trump, but. It's like I can't – Facebook and, and other social media have almost become something I have to avoid like the play because it's so frustrating yeah. to me because they're focusing on the wrong things for the most part anyway. You know, it's the stuff that doesn't right. matter. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I mean, the nature of Facebook makes it difficult to really uh, draw any conclusions for this kind of thing because I don't really know what the <laughs> what the algorithms are showing me. True. Uh, um, but yeah, what, what I'm noticing is that uh, the 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 stuff I read about the terrible thing that Trump has done, you know, on the on the on the wider internet, is not really reflected very strongly in the in in the friends I have on Facebook. Let's put it that way. Uh, but there is this just kind of general general simmering background hatred. It's more, it's more like that. Yeah, I think you know. Regardless, I think even if Trump hadn't won the election, though, he's a man that's very easy to hate. I mean, sure. for being perfectly honest, which is again shocking that the man has become president, and and I would argue personally. Now, there's a lot of split libertarian thought on whether or not Hillary would be better or worse than Trump, because at least mm-hmm. the I guess the argument was, well, Hillary would be maybe even worse, but then at least you know we'd have a shot at, at coming back and uh, and having a, a, a libertarian or a different conservative that might be more closer to libertarian values in office. Meanwhile, yeah. Trump is so you know horrible, and now it's just going to be another died in the wool uh piece of crap democrat that's going to take the take over in four years or something like that yeah yeah i was i was following those discussions uh as they were happening too and i guess my my feeling was that trump was probably the the less the lesser evil yeah but it's i mean nobody knows and and there's this uh there's this great piece by brian kaplan at the time i think it was uh 
ex- talking about, how, or maybe it's an older piece, but it was, he was talking anyway about how he doesn't he doesn't vote, and it and the crux of it was it's you know the, you're kind of you invest part of yourself in the outcome, yeah, and it's not, and it's absolutely not worth it. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, and if, you know everybody wants to win, and this was something when I was going door to door for Ron Paul back in 2008. Uh, in, in what was a, an exercise in futility, essentially, but still, you know. But the the thing I found more often than not was that people are invested, and they are, you know, they consider their vote like they they tie it so personally to who they are, and and you know, everybody wants to win, and nobody mm-hmm. wants to be the guy that uh, that is on the losing side, and then has to face their friends who voted for the winner. And so, yeah, there is so much tied into that, and so much personal pride, and all these Hillary supporters were so deeply hurt you know deeply yeah, deeply yeah, yeah. hurt when their candidate lost that they yeah. they can never let it go ever and they never will yeah on the other hand they have the consolation now of being able to be completely uh free in their criticism of trump yep they, they, they have that luxury uh on the other hand they would have they would have been having to stick up for whatever terrible thing hillary was doing right now right exactly and that's the way we've seen it i mean as you said obama was equally terrible and it's just amazing to see so many people cited obama as oh he's one of the greatest presidents in history and i said how he continued Mm -hmm. to have all of these aggressive wars against overseas he he involved us in even more undeclared wars um and also uh you know this massive nsa spying scandal which was uncovered both in Mm -hmm. england and here and you know touched in germany and all these places you know how exactly (laughs) other than this terrible uh, obamacare bill which it's still not universal health care and made everybody's health insurance vastly more expensive what exactly did the man do (laughs) he won a prize right right yeah in his first like two weeks in office <laughs> then he went and bombed the middle east i just it, it, it boggles the mind what people the mental gymnastics people can do in order to qualify and keep somebody in the in the the right corner of their brain so they can feel good about themselves yeah this has been a big source of disappointment in my facebook friends i have to say yeah most he's, definitely I, I've, I've got to say he's, he's I, I he's probably the most charismatic president i i know of Obama? I'll give him that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He was a, a really incredibly gifted order. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he was, he, he, I give it to him. He was a very likable guy. And even doing, I mean, I, I don't know if I was a fan of him doing shows like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Zach Galifianakis' show, Between Two Ferns. Um, no. It's like a comedy show. It's, it's funny if you want to check it out, but it's mm-hmm. it's like this very informal, goofy interview with a comedian. And he just sits down between literally two ferns and a black, you know, black stage, a black curtain in the background. And the president of the United States had sat down and done this interview with him, which on one level you say, okay, well, it's, it's good to see a president being approachable, I guess. But on the south, other level you say, shouldn't the president be above this type of, of, of goofiness? I mean, you're, you're you arguing the most powerful man in the world. What the hell are you doing? Don't you have better things yeah. to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Trump on Twitter, I suppose. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. God, Trump's Twitter, man. I got to say, that is entertaining. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, but it is entertaining. Uh, all right, let's throw like one more topic I want to hit with you, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. I don't want to keep you too long, so I know it's uh, it's later there. It's pushing eight o'clock, and uh, and you probably have a nice dinner waiting for you. Um, oh, I've eaten. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Look at you. Good job. Yeah, I like get get that brain fuel for this intense conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> um, right, so this this, this NATO thing, right? He, yeah. So the the idea was he, if if I understood it correctly, he'd um he'd he'd re- he'd refused to uh explicitly endorse this article 5 right so he was he was he was not not reaffirming this idea that the US would kind of leap to the defense or you know to join the fray right. with and- any with any NATO member that was in any kind of conflict, right? Correct. And it's not like he, he went out and was like, F Article 5. He just didn't explicitly say it. And I guess it's the first time a president hasn't been like, yes, we're committed to this uh, this Article 5 thing. So I don't know. You know, the argument, I guess, is, is this all a bunch of um, a furor over nothing, you know? Uh, or is it actually an intentional omission by Trump as kind of a, a very subtle threat if people don't pay up their fair share, which, agreed, they should pay. I mean, it's we're kind of ridiculous that you know you can't put forward the two percent that uh, that these other uh, factions of NATO had agreed to, but I mean that's the big debate is whether or not people should give a give a damn about it. Um, I personally don't think that it's anything that should be given a damn about. I think that there's no way we're going to be pulling out of NATO or change anything there because too much of the politics uh, are involved in it, and they can start not not only in rail wars, but 
this is the kind of thing where it could start trade wars as additionally as they try to leverage economics into the into the game i yeah. think if we tried to threaten to pull out yeah i i guess with with trump it's it's always difficult to say you have this i think it was scott adams who kind of popularized this idea of uh, 4d chess yes yeah I, i'm I, glad I, you I read thought, that man he is a, that yeah, blog thought, is great <laughs> yeah it's good it's very interesting and uh, recently i saw someone else kind of mockingly uh uh doing a takeoff of that uh saying that yeah trump is trump is doing six-dimensional ludo right now <laughs> i thought that was very nice uh, but yeah so so who knows but um like i i suppose from my perspective um anything that that weakens nato or that uh that destabilizes it somehow is probably a good thing uh yeah in in the sense that it's it seems like a a huge um well, the, the main thing is it seems like a huge moral hazard to have this kind of arrangement yeah. uh, where if, if any of the member countries get into a conflict, uh, that they, they can count on the support of the others. Yeah, so and if you have that kind of arrangement, you've, you've essentially uh, lowered the cost of being belligerent and entering conflicts. And, you know, you've, you've kind of removed some of the incentive to be uh, diplomatic in your, in your dealings with other countries. So, it seems like um, an arrangement that's going to lead to more war. Right. Uh, to, so, I mean, this is this is kind of a very quick, superficial kind of analysis of the thing, but I, I I have trouble seeing how that couldn't be the case. No, it's very true, and it's you know, here you go. Here's a title for a video that could tie in. Uh, it's because because this reminds you of when you see a woman go to a bar um, or a little kid with a big brother, and you know, it, there's, she's a loud mouth and she's drunk and she's starting fights because she knows her boyfriend's going to back her up. You know, and you could, you know, is your girlfriend a bitch? There's your next video title. <laughs> Tying into NATO and the and how it works to have Big Brother there to, to bail you out all the time. But no, you make an excellent point. And Rand Paul had said uh, during a, a recent, uh, they were having a hearing about whether or not the UN should let in Montenegro. And of course, Montenegro and Serbia, you know, there's been a lot of, of war ongoing. And he goes, well, this is a tiny country. And if we let them in to, uh, if we let them into NATO, then then what's going to happen? Okay, if they start a war again, you know, as they're as they're want to do, then now we've got to go and bail them out. This country of you know whatever mm-hmm. three million yeah. people, and now we got to send our whole military over there. So he makes a very salient point, though, and it's just mm-hmm. just like what you're talking about. the The benefit to the United States is is arguably nil for most of the countries that are in NATO. Uh, meanwhile, mm-hmm. the benefit for them to be belligerent or or not have to to worry so much about the consequence of their actions is is negated by the fact that they've got Big Brother US there or uh or England or any of these other countries that can step in and bail them out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're on. I think your your assessment's uh, quite quite on. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's hit this uh, This last story I want to talk about is in Germany. So this is uh, – Germany is going to pass a new law this week, and it's going to oblige kindergartners to inform the authorities if their parents fail to provide evidence that they've received advice from the doctor on vaccinating their children, which – there's a lot of questions being brought up here. Number one, are the are the kindergartners going to have to demand um, – some sort of paperwork uh, to to document this. Like it's very confusing how right. this is actually going to play out. But apparently, the kid, you know, the teachers are going to be asking the kids kids when they come into school, "Did your parents give you uh, provide evidence that your doctor, their doctor, told them about vaccines and have you been vaccinated?" Something like that. And if they yeah. say no, it is a twenty five hundred euro penalty, which is quite a good amount of money. To, uh, mm-hmm. to have not uh, properly told your child, which, by the way, why would you not just lie to the kid anyway? Be like, yeah, 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 I went to the doctor, you know. But this, so this, I mean, this kind of law, though, it is, uh, I mean, I don't want to take all the talking points. So let me let me get your take on it first, and then I'll sure. weigh in. Because otherwise, I'm, I'm going to talk for five minutes, and then you're going to be like, yep, and that'll be that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. So uh, I, I have a friend living in Germany, a good friend, um, who's who has a kid of, of, of an age that, this this is relevant to um and so he he tells me about what, what life is like that uh there right now he's living in berlin mm-hmm. and uh that's really interesting to to hear about like culturally there are some differences uh between the netherlands and and germany or at least between rotterdam and berlin where he is and one of the, one of the uh one of the big ones is that um which is part of why this story is so surprising to me one of the big ones is that um Germans living, at least in Berlin, are very sensitive, uh, so the report goes, mm. to any attempt to surveil 
to any attempt to um, keep tabs on them. Hmm. Uh, cash is is uh, is really important there. Uh, in many places you can't pay with a card at all. Really, that's um, really interesting. Yeah, and this uh, this this makes a lot of sense with the with the uh, you know with with respect to how things were in the Cold War period. Um, I, I don't know how how much uh, I don't know how much you know about that, but there's a there's a fantastic film called The Lives of Others. Hmm, Have you right. seen that? No, I'm I'm not familiar with it at all. It's a really great film. It's about uh, uh, 1984 East Berlin. What what things were like there, uh, and it's and it's about a member of the uh, secret police uh, surveilling. Uh, some 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 people in his life. Uh, anyway, surveillance was a big thing back then, and it was a pretty terrible time. And you know, you had informants uh, wrecking all kinds of people's lives. Um, so the idea that this law is 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 going to pass or it is passed uh, is is really it kind of it seems seems to go against all that, uh, and it makes me wonder how how that's happened. You know, because it seems to be. It seems to be like, uh, you know, okay, surveillance is really terrible, but, you know, ratting on your neighbors in this instance is, right. is okay. <laughs> right. And not even ratting on your neighbors. You're, I mean, you're uh, basically asking your own children to rat you out to the government and, and making them spies and complicit. And I understand it's, it's like so many laws that pass and you say, how the hell did this thing get pushed through? But it's all in the guise of safety and, and in the guise of, um, uh, we have to protect against this disease. You know, for example, here they're using measles, chicken pox, mumps, um, mm-hmm. as the reason because as people are not vaccinating their children, these things are spreading, which is a fact. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. argue that. And, and obviously within the libertarian community, this is an ongoing debate as whether or not you're violating, uh, the, you know, the property rights of others by not vaccinating your child because then you can make them sick. And then, but I, you know, I, I don't know where you fall on this. I feel, if you don't want to vaccinate your kid, you don't have to. I'm going to <laughs> yeah, personally, yeah. but um, yeah. you know, if you don't, your kid gets sick. Well, you know, tough nuts. Um, yeah, to me, to me, it's 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 solved by allowing uh, complete complete freedom of association and dissociation, right? Exactly. Uh, which we don't we don't have now, which is where all the conflict comes from, I think. Right. And so, also, in, in a, oh, sorry. In a ahead. sense, in in a sense, I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, as, as part of a, a broader solution. Or a broader status quo, I would be happy with the with the prospect of kindergartens, for instance, saying refusing entry to uh, non-vaccinated kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my kid is not vaccinated. Um, I'll, I'll mention that. So it's like uh, I think I think this is a kind of humane way of dealing with it. Some right. kindergartens will be okay with that, and others won't. Right, and and that's where you know we were talking about. Uh, well, not we were talking about as a, as a country lately. We've been talking about school choice because one of Trump's uh, nominees or or his the current Secretary of Education. Uh, Betsy DeVos, I'm saying her name wrong every time, but um, she is a proponent of school choice, as am I, as are you, I'm sure. And yeah, exactly right. If you don't want, you know, if the 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 issue becomes far less if you don't have just monolithic public institutions where all the children are funneled in there. If you have school yeah. choice, you've got schools that say, no, well, you have to be vaccinated to come here. If you don't want to do that, you're going to have another choice for a school that does not demand that. But yeah. right now, you know, because it's such an emphasis on uh, public education and uh, and they don't have the voucher system in place yet or these other options, it's it becomes more of an issue. So um, mm-hmm. but getting back to this, just the general concept is, um, yeah, it's it's shocking how much you can do under the guise of safety where people are willing to sign away so much of their uh, of their privacy. And I just think I mean, just on a on a level, though, to to say to people's children, though, you have to rat out your parents and we're going to explicitly ask you to spy and inquire about your parents is a whole nother level of uh, of totalitarianism and, and control that I just I've never seen any any bill like this that I can think of. Yeah, I, I, maybe I maybe I, I misread it or misunderstood. But in my in my my impression was that the it was the kindergartens who would ask the parents for some kind of proof that they had uh, been witness to the advice from the doctor, and the advice from the doctor is follow the vaccination program, of course. Oh. And and then you know if they don't, if <laughs> and the, the tricky thing, the trick is if they hear the advice and don't follow it, then they get fined. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm interpreting this wrong. That that but, is a possibility. <laughs> so in, in like on, on this interpretation, it's it's they're still ratting out happening, but it's the kindergartens ratting out the parents. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so they're compelled to tell the authorities. Uh, if they, like, if if anyone enrolls who cannot produce the proof that this advice was given, it's all a bit uh, involved. Uh, they found a, found an interesting way around 
around doing that. Yeah, you know, uh, I am. I totally did read this article wrong. <laughs> I've been upset about nothing. Well, I'm still upset about uh, something appropriate, but yeah, it's you're right. Upsetting. Yeah, you're right. The kindergarten, the children are not ratting out their parents. <laughs> Well, that's, it's a little bit better, right? <laughs> a little, slightly better, slightly better. But yeah, now the kindergartners, right, have to provide evidence, which I guess yeah. is, yeah, I guess they, they'll they have to say, yeah, here's my doctor's note, or are they going to send him a quiz? <laughs> the kindergartner's going to quiz? I don't know. It's all still very, very questionable um, and uh, and puzzling. I guess, they have a, I guess they have a stamp in there. The doctor puts a stamp on there, and then they show them this, uh, they show them this thing. Yeah. I mean, and it's then just they- funny, though, that it's still not, it's not mandating that they have to vaccinate the children though no it's just you get the advice so i get it's like it's almost one of those things where you question what's what's it going to achieve if people i think most people that aren't getting vaccinated probably already have their minds made up and they know the basic benefits of vaccination and uh the potential drawbacks of it so Mm -hmm. just providing a fine that says you have to get this talking to seems uh, a bit arbitrary yeah i guess i guess some some kind of uh i guess some economists or uh, politicians would 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 kind of frame it in terms of a nudge, but this is a nudge to get uh, to get people to do the right thing. Yeah. So uh, you know, uh, if 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 people are you know, there's there's some subset of people who are just too lazy or you know can't be bothered even looking into it to to get it sorted out. Then yeah. this will be the nudge that makes them do it. But yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty abhorrent to me. Yeah, I agreed. Well, I'll finish up there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and thank you. I mean, Thomas, this has been awesome. Uh, I will yeah. say that. I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I'm sure our uh, our audience has as well. And I would love to uh, to have you back on later time as well. As, you know, as, if you got some new videos, make sure to shoot those to me. And I'm gladly share them on our Facebook forum. And uh, and also just, you know, if there's anything going on in, uh, in your neck of the world, let's get you back on here and, and chat about it. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me on. I'll definitely let you know. And tell everybody real quick so uh, so they can find all of your websites, where they can donate to you, and all of that good stuff. Okay, the two most important URLs are uh, georgeoughttohelp.com. Uh, that's where I have all my main films and a bunch of articles. The other important one is patreon.com slash Thomas K. So that's T-O-M-A-S-Z-K-A-Y-E. That's a Z for us Americans. Yeah, <laughs> I sorry. I don't Z, want them to yeah. type in Z at the end and then be like very confused. Yeah, Tom, Thomas Z, guys. Yeah, without an H and with a Z. A Z yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, great. And again, I'll link to these in the show notes as well, guys, but I know most of you are too lazy to visit them. Uh, so I'll just give a quick shout out to uh, to remind you guys to please do follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. I'll also uh, link to uh, Thomas's uh, Twitter profile as well in the show notes uh follow us on facebook like our page join the forum and again you can support our podcast if you so choose including getting a, that gives you access to exclusive content that we put out that's simple go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support we've got our own little uh, pod bean program you can join we do all sorts of fun things we're including we're going to be doing a very special uh, recording of a mystery science theater type of take on They Live upcoming, guys. So that's going to be really fun. We're going to be recording that on the 8th. Otherwise, follow Thomas and uh, listen to other shows. So I'll wrap it on that. From me, Brian McWilliams, from Thomas K over there in the Netherlands, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, guys, always stay plugged in to Liberty. Liberty.